0: What's up? We want to give thanks to all of our amazing sponsors. Piper Diamonds, your hometown jeweler. Bling, bling at PiperDiamondCo.com. TheCardenasLawGroup.com, your concierge level service, which is for all your personal injury needs. And Compton Broomhead Dental at MunsterDental.com. This is top level luxury dental care. And Finley Volvo Cars of Las Vegas. Safety first since 1927. All right, Kelly Cardina's podcast, let's go. Yep.
1: Welcome to the Kelly Cardenas Podcast, where attitude is everything. Uh, on today's show, I'm so excited to be able to have this young man. We, we got a chance to be able to talk. I've been so inspired by him. I've been chasing him down uh, for over a year trying to get him, uh, You know, whether it be a conversation with him, time with him. He's like the president of the United States. Actually, I shouldn't say that uh, in today's times, that he's like the president of the United States. But he's, the, he's a very, very important guy. Um, I, I wrote down uh, Disruptor, uh, part of his... Uh, um, part of the title because I believe that he's really disrupted things in an industry in such a positive way. And so on the show today, which is amazing, this is the, uh, the owner, uh, the owner and founder of uh, Salon Republic. Um, he has also the Hair Game, which is a, a number one of the number one podcasts in the hair industry. He on Instagram, if you want to follow him, it's at Love Eric Taylor. On Facebook, if you're old, um, his name is Eric Taylor. And on TikTok, if you are very young and you're very cool, you need to follow uh, Love Eric Taylor. Eric, thank you so much for being on the show
0: today. Well, first of all, you're way too nice. I've been I haven't been called a young man in a long time, so thank you very much.
1: Well, Eric, you are young, man. You're, you're still wet behind the ears, brother. Uh, <laughs> 44. 44. See? So I'm your senior. I'm 45, so you have to respect me today. <laughs> so that's the way it goes, man. But I want to I thank you so much for being on the show. I mean, when I say a disruptor, it's such a, I think that that is such an amazing thing. I think of disruptors like a uh, uh, Steve Jobs. I think of an Elon Musk. I think of uh, Richard Branson. They disrupt things, and they make people think about things in a different way. Um, am I correct? Uh, your first studio salon was there in L.A in 2000. Am I correct?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, to, to go back, it, you, you want to hear about the original disruptor. You know, I, yes, I've disrupted it. I appreciate that, uh, um, said in a positive way. Uh, but I didn't actually come up with the studio concept. It, the studio concept has been disruptive, but it, the original disruptor was a guy who became my mentor and uh, he started his first salon, I believe he opened it in 1989. He was a barber and had, had owned about five uh, barbershops and figured out a different way to do it that would eliminate some of the negative aspects of having uh, those barbershops that he had. And, and he came up with basically a way to give each of the uh, service providers, in, in his case, a bar- barbers, their own space and uh, allowed them to kind of be individuals with their own creative energies and all the different variations that come with that and uh, and then over the course of decades, you know he rolled out a couple locations that somewhat look like what we have now in the the studio salon space so I, I was lucky enough to meet him right after I graduated from college, my, uh, girlfriend at the time, her hairdresser moved to one of his salons and she went and she got her haircut and then she went home and this is, this is pre cell phone. I mean, we're in the nineties right now. So she calls me, she calls me from her landline and she says, you know, Hey boyfriend, like you got to check this thing out. Uh it's amazing. And my hairdresser loves it and all that. Right down the street from where I was living at the time, I was living with my parents because I was like 21 or 22. And uh, I went down the street, I walked in the salon the first time and I met Keith, who had developed this concept and was, who was trying to grow it. And he became my mentor. I worked for him for free for about a year. And I learned all the brilliant elements of, of that concept and I learned everything about hairdressers and what they want and what they like and what they need to be successful and service their clients, you know, long term in a really good, profitable way. And uh, and then I I dropped the girlfriend, moved out to L.A. and opened opened up my first location, and that was 2000.
1: Why did you drop the girlfriend?
0: Because the <laughs> the business was more important. <laughs>
1: I love it. I love it. So let's go back. Let's go back to little Eric because this is this is incredible. You went you went to Pepperdine. Uh, you were talking about the fact that uh, that you played baseball there. That I asked you if you had heat. You said you had no heat, but you had junk. So no you, you threw a a, a crazy curveball is what you are talking about. Let me ask you this: I did. For it- those
0: listeners who know, I threw a twelve to six curveball that was probably I was throwing this curveball in the low seventies. So some people called it the Ephis. It was not an Ephis. You know, Ephis for for those of you who really know baseball, going way back, I believe it was a Yankee, and he used to lob a ball way up in the air. He was a major league you know, baseball player. Mm-hmm. He, he would lob a ball way up in the air, and it would come down through the strike zone from a vertical angle. So that was very extreme. And then ever since him, people would refer to any oddly slow pitch as an Ephis pitch incorrectly. So my curveball was a, a top-to-bottom spinning curveball that was low 70s in speed. My fastball was mid-80s, which was not good enough. for, uh, for it, At the time, it was the best ba- baseball team in the country. We had won the College World Series, Pepperdine did, in 92. I got recruited the following year. I showed up in 94, and uh, I was on the team – with guys like Randy Wolf, who played Major League Baseball for, you know, an entire very successful career, and other guys who, you know, went to the big show and had really successful careers, Um, I did not have that kind of talent. I I was a, I had a moderate uh, fastball, and and it was only because my, it was only because my curveball was so slow that my fastball was able to be somewhat successful.
1: Now, is there anyone in the industry that could hit your curveball?
0: There is no way anyone in the industry could hit my curveball.
1: So we're going to have to, we we need to put this up because what I would like to do is I'd like to, for all of our listeners out there, if you're a hairdresser, we got listeners from all different walks of life. If you are a hairdresser or you have a friend in the hairdressing industry and you think that you could hit Eric's curveball, we need to set up a charity event and he is going to auction something off. Maybe it's uh, that he'll give you rent for a year (laughs) in California. Actually, right now it'd be great because there's no rent anyway. Um, that's right. A, a year's worth of, rent. would you put up a year's worth of rent if someone could hit a, ho- a home run off your curveball? Yes. Bang. Okay. I would. So let's, I would. let's take, let's take it back though. Cause I want to know, I mean, you grew up in Texas, right? So what part of Texas? Dallas. Dallas. Okay. Are you a Cowboys fan? Please tell me you're not.
0: I'm not a Cowboys. Fan. Look, I, the, the same girlfriend that I've already mentioned, who knew that this girl would be, her name was Emily. Who knew that she would ever be mentioned on a podcast decades after I broke (laughs) up with her. Um, She worked for the Cowboys. She worked in the office. She like filed things in the office. And so I, I could, we, you know, we would go to the games for free, great seats, but it was, it was, I never cared much about football. I played football in grade school, but, you know, I hurt my back doing it. It was just stupid. Like I it, I was never built for football, never really cared. So we would go to the games and we would spend 10 minutes at the game and then we would leave and go home because I didn't care. She didn't care. I don't watch football now. Um, I One of my best friends is a coach for the Rams. He's invited me to games. I appreciate the invite. Don't really care to go. Uh, you know, that's how much I care about football.
1: Well, growing growing up, you grew up in a in a family of uh, you know was it your mom or your pop was an entrepreneur?
0: They were both entrepreneurial. Okay. Uh, my mom was the artist; she was an oil painter. It still is wow. and a successful oil painter, and she's made a business business of that. So, one of those rare instances where an artist is a true entrepreneur, and certainly you know a lot to do with how much I liked. And why I got into the hair industry, my dad was an entrepreneur, but much more from a financial basis, he owned uh, at his peak, I think he owned like four warehouses.
1: Wow, so how much do you think because this is the, this is a billion dollar question People always talk about this, and they say that you know it, like a person is born with it or they don't you know and they 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 say that you're either born with it or some people say you could teach it. I believe that you can teach it. And when I look at you, and even hearing that story, you have a dad who's a, a businessman, you have a mom who's an artist, and when you look at you, you have taken art and turned it into business. You're one of the very, very few in the professional beauty industry who has taken it and really looked at it from a different perspective. Level. When did you start to recognize that, Eric? Was this you know? Let's go back to little Eric, five, six, seven years old. What were some of the things that that you were seeing in your pop and in your mom that was registering at that time?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. When does a kid start to recognize the differences in his mind and his way of thinking or his life or her life versus everybody else? I, the first thing that I remember recognizing was that I was very artistic. I I could draw anything. I could um make things look good, you know, with a pencil or crayons or whatever. Uh I remember um there was a my parents wanted me to go to this very fancy uh kindergarten and there was a um there was a um like a test to get into the kindergarten. They wanted to, you know, so I, I remember being in the, one of my first memories, actually, is going in and getting tested by the the person at the school. And she ran me through a battery of different challenges. And and one of them was uh, simply drawing a block. And she placed this block, you know, and it, it, it was a typical, you know, cube shape. And she would put it she put it in front of me and she turned it so that one of the points was looking at me. And I remember thinking really interesting that she just pointed that corner at me. She obviously did that on purpose and she wants to see if I'm going to draw this block, you know, as four sides in a two dimensional square, or if I'm going to, you know, impress her. So I drew it as a three dimensional block with the corner slightly askew as it was looking at me. And I thought this is going to blow her mind. And so I I remember that moment thinking I bet few other kids look at the block in the same way I'm looking at the block. And I bet few other kids can actually draw the block the same way. So I was always able to to draw really well. I was the kid who every day in class, um, the teacher would have me me go up and I would draw the date, you know, uh, August 27th. And I would make the two and the seven really good looking. So that was very clear from a very early age. And my son, you said you have an eight and a 10. I have a seven and a nine. And my seven is a boy and he is extremely artistic, um, much more so than than all the other kids. So that was the first thing that I kind of recognized um, that that is very, very natural. Um, I, I never had to try to do that. The... Um, you know as i grew up the entrepreneurialism i think is certainly learned i agree with you that the that you know it you know coming out of the womb with it uh, i i just don't prescribe to that i think there there are some things that are natural like you know my ability to draw something um, but when it comes to entrepreneurship and doing things in your life related to business or creating something that people want, I think 99% of it is learned. And if I'm wrong, it doesn't really matter because the, the the fact is that all we have control over is what we spend our time doing now and the attitude that we choose to have every morning now. So it really is no, of no benefit to say, yeah, you're born that way or you're not born that way right? There's no, that's not productive, right? Yeah. It's very productive to have the other perspective in that, um, doesn't really matter how I was born or to whom I was born. Um, what am I going to do for the next 12 hours or whatever? You know, what am I going to do tomorrow? Oh, how, how am I going to spend my time and how am I going to get better? That's what matters.
1: Well, when you, when I want to, I want to go back to this, to one of the first statements that you said, you said that, you know, when you found a mentor, um, you actually worked with him, uh, for a year complimentary, this is an yep. attitude thing. Okay. Yep. And where did that attitude come? Where did that attitude stem from? Where, what were some of the lessons that your parents taught you very early on? Because when I look at it too, you have a very optimistic, uh, you have to, to have the type of success that you have. How many, uh, different locations do you have now and how many States are you in?
0: 20 locations, 2,500 beauty professionals, three states.
1: Okay. So what my brother said to me today is the biggest successes, which is you in the professional industry, are the people who have had the largest failures, right? And bounce back from them, have had a positive attitude because in the 2,500 stylists that you've had in the 20, you know, 20 some odd locations in the three states, Eric's life has not been like uh, rainbows and butterflies all the time. It's ha- yeah. you've, ha- you've come up against things and you've had to have a positive attitude and you just alluded to it before. So when you were talking about the fact of you being willing to work for a year for no pay, when you yep. went to, I mean, arguably one of the best colleges in the country, what, wh- where does that come from? Where does that attitude to be able to do whatever it takes to be successful, where do you think that came from?
0: Oh, there's so many different things that I can uh, talk about with w- that question. I think the the first one, which is very interesting, uh, and hopefully I'll remember the others by the time I get to the end of the first one. But the, the first one is um, the, the importance of the time that I was in school. I, I graduated from Pepperdine in 1998 and you remember uh, 1998 was the dot-com craze. Um, it was it was when, you know, especially in California, right? I mean, everything was coming from here. Uh, the stock market was going nuts. The NASDAQ was a million points and people were getting rich. And if you looked in the newspaper, people were starting companies with an idea and they were rich the next day, even though they didn't have a business. So there are all these wacky things happening. And, um, as a graduate of college, um, I, I had a lot of friends, you know, the more ambitious ones who were going off to work for some of these companies and going off to works for some investment banks and they were making really great money, um, coming out of school. And I, I saw that and in, for whatever reason, instead of thinking, oh, that's really cool. I want some of that. I thought, God, that seems, uh, Unsustainable. It it seems like it doesn't make sense to me, and I'm gonna look in a different direction. And I that was this actually kind of ties into the last question that you had. You know, uh, when did I realize that I was I thought the way that I thought, et cetera? Um, I think I, I that was another thing that I knew early on was that I was always not that comfortable being around, being in a crowd, doing a particular thing. Just because the crowd was doing it, and and this is the opposite of what most how most people think. Um, you know, an example of this is in college when all of my friends were uh, rushing uh, Beta, the fraternity. Okay, and so I went along for the first few things and you know parties or whatever, and but I I was never that comfortable kind of being one of the sheep, you know, kind of all going in the same direction, you know, one of the cows getting herded in one direction altogether. Um, And and so I eventually, I just had, I showed no interest in it and I told them I didn't want to do it. And so I didn't join a fraternity because I just thought it was, I didn't like that. But everybody else did it because it made them feel comfortable socially to belong to something. I was never like that. Maybe that came from my parents. My mom had her art studio in the house doing her own thing, right? Trying to figure out what to paint so that she could sell it, certainly. Uh, but, But she was the one deciding what to paint, when to paint, how to paint, where to sell, to whom to sell, et cetera. My dad, very much the same. My dad, you know, had some office buildings, but he had his office. He never had any employees, very much a lone uh, sort of operator, had his office there in the house uh, doing everything himself. So, um, and, and what's very interesting about him is he didn't really have the entrepreneurial mindset. He didn't have a good tolerance for pressure. He was not a good manager of people. There, was, there were lots of things that he did not have from a personality standpoint, but he made it work in his way, which was as kind of a lone operator. So um, maybe that influenced the fact that I didn't like being in a herd of people doing a particular thing. I don't know. But when everyone was graduating from college and going and doing these things, I, I decided to look in a different direction and And that's what made me look at businesses like the salon business i I was looking for businesses that were unconsolidated where it where you know five huge companies around the world controlled everything and so I thought, um if I can find a business where there aren't a whole lot of big companies that are controlling something then that that are controlling that business, then maybe I could have some influence in it. And so that brought me to the salon business as one of those businesses. Now, going back to that original story where I found Keith uh, doing his studio concept, I had been looking at the salon business for probably a year before that. And I was looking at more traditional type of salon setups, although um, I thought that there could be improvements. I thought, you know, I I was very good friends with my hairdresser at the time. And I would ask him questions every time I went and sat in his chair and he cut my hair. I'd ask him questions about the way it works. And I started forming more questions and and more ideas. I'm like, why doesn't the salon owner Janice, like, why doesn't Janice do this, this, and this? And he's like, I don't know, you know. And, and so I started, you know, getting to know more salon owners. And then, and then my girlfriend, um, her hairdresser moved to a studio and so I, I had already built a fascination with the industry because it was so big, everyone's got to get their hair cut, right? And not even to mention color. And um, it was everywhere, right? It was, it, was a, it was an everywhere business and it had the element of artistry. So all of it was just perfectly composed to what I really liked. In addition to the fact That people like me were not getting into the salon business. People who studied, who were studying finance at Pepperdine were not getting into the salon business. They were sheep. They were, they were in, in herds of cattle, all going towards investment banking, dot coms, and things like that. And so I really liked the idea that I was kind of forging a new path.
1: So, talk to us too about that because when you come out of Pepperdine, you're talking about finance, things like that. There's going to be the voices that are going to say, What are you doing, Eric? Like, honestly, you're going to go do. I mean, my mom had a beauty shop in her basement, whatever it is. Let's talk about that part of it. Because I think a lot of times people look at Eric Taylor, like this, this incredible iconic person in in the professional beauty industry in the professional beauty space, they look at that part, but they don't see all the things that Eric went through during those times, during yeah. the early startup part of it. So let's talk about a little bit of that, uh, that part of it. And then some of the things that you ran into, I mean, did you get smacked in the face early on? I'm not talking about, uh, uh, you know, physically, but yeah, If you're successful, like we talked about before, you've been punched in the mouth. Yeah. Am I correct?
0: Right. Of course. No doubt. So, I mean, being an entrepreneur is a solitary path. You are alone. Okay. Now that's, that, unless you have a partner, right? Sometimes people have a partner. So you have a partner. The two of you are alone. Okay. You're, (laughs) you're going in a direction that few other people have gone and, that means that a, uh, most people are going to tell you something negative about what you're doing, okay? So y- you've it really requires independent thinking, which I guess I either developed or I had or I ended up liking, so I, I did more of that. I don't know, but I was definitely an independent thinker um, and, and being an entrepreneur requires that. Um, I remember when I was... When I decided to go ahead and do this type of salon, my you know I had to get an attorney and I had to do these things, and you know I all I did was buy a book. I bought a book on how to start a business, and I just did what the book told me to do. It's like you know, like people tell you, like people love to say, "There's no manual for life." Total horseshit. There's there's like countless manuals for life. Like so, I remember. One, one of my girlfriends, friend girls, she wasn't my girlfriend, but she was getting married and she was going to have kids. And she's like, there's no manual to raising a kid. I'm you.
1: can I curse? You can say whatever you want, man.
0: What the fuck are you talking about? There's like probably thousands of books on raising kids. Like ask around some of your mommy friends, ask them which books are the best and go read the stupid books. Right. So I bought a book on how to start a business and it told me, you know, I needed to, pick a type of, uh, I need to get an attorney. I needed to get a, a business. Um, uh, uh, um, uh what, what is it called? You know, the type of, you know, corporation or an LLC, all, all this type of entity. Uh-huh. And, and so I did that. My, my attorney told me I was nuts because I, he asked what kind of business I told him the business. He's like, long pause. Are you sure you want to do that? And I'm like, Absolutely. I think this is fantastic. And, you know, I've, I've actually seen it happening and I think there's improvements I can make. And he's like, gosh, it really doesn't sound like a good idea because da da. and then, uh, the, I found an accountant and they're like, gosh, well, but what if, uh, nobody comes to the salon? And I'm like, well, you know. They're going to come to the salon, right? (laughs) I'm going to make it so that they come to the salon. Um, I'm going to make it so good that they're going to come to the salon. He's like, yeah, but what if they don't, right? And then I remember after I built the first salon in Studio City and I was meeting new hairstylists who may or may not want to work in the salon, I remember one of them came in and she's like, why would you ever think that 50 hairdressers are ever going to want to work in the same place? I'm like, well, because it's a better place than where they're working now, you know, for these reasons. And she's like, no way. And they're never going to want to do that. So that that is a lot of being an entrepreneur is being an independent thinker to where you're not so subject and so sensitive to what everybody else is telling you. Okay, now that doesn't mean that you ignore everyone. It simply means that either... Uh, you're wrong or they're wrong. Right. And of course you have to do that very critical, very objective thinking to figure out which one of you is wrong. Right. Absolutely. So, and a lot of people don't like to do this. Like they like to kind of recede into the perspective that they're right because that makes them feel better about themselves in the moment. But doesn't matter how good you feel about yourself in the moment, what matters is whether you have the right answer or not. Right. So all of these are little things that are very important. And and I, I, as I get older, I'm getting much better at seeing what most people do versus what, what, what the right thing is that people should do. And, and, and one of them is to uh, be very uh, cognizant of when your emotions are are diluting your perspective. You don't want to um, be delusional about what's going on. You, you want to be 100% clear from an objective standpoint about what you're doing. You know, I, when I put up the first salon, um, I, ca- I didn't care at all about making myself feel good about the salon. I cared 100% about are people going to like this salon? Is it good from an objective standpoint? Can I take a stranger off the street who does, who's does, who been doing hair for 20 years and has a lot of clients and has a great business, I take this stranger, put them in the salon, are they going to like it or not? That's the only thing that matters. So you kind of have to remove yourself. Some people use the term you remove yourself. I simply consider it... Um, you know, not being emotional, not being so damn sensitive from a personal standpoint uh, about everything that's going on. You have, you have to be very clear about what's going on. And then with that clarity, you have to be relentlessly optimistic that you will be able to make it work.
1: So when, when did those things like, again, I, and I go back to, I mean, this is, this is incredible when you're talking about the fact of looking at, you know, what the, what the guest wants, what the, or or when you, when we're talking about a guest, you're talking about the stylist or even the person, the clientele walking in, you weren't thinking about your own emotion. Talk to us early on, where was this? like trial by fire? Did you learn that from reading about somebody else messing up on it? Or is there some times where you did some stuff that you liked and you were like, this sucked, you know what I mean?
0: Oh yeah. Okay. So, so I didn't really get into the, the fire part of the trial that, that <laughs> you, you asked on the previous question. Um, th- there were a lot of things that I made mistakes on. Uh, some of them were, I'll tell you a few. So I am putting up the first location. Uh, I mean, I chose the wrong contractor. So, I mean, he took probably two months longer to build the stupid place than he should have taken because I was, I didn't know that much about how to manage a construction company because I'd never done it before. So he was taking advantage of my naivete And so he probably took five months to build that salon, which is our smallest salon to date. We build salons that are three times larger now in two and a half months. Um, And he took five months to build the first one. So uh, that was mistake number one. It it cost me more money than it should have. Mistake number two, there were things like, uh, uh, let's see, I, I ordered furniture for the salon and the day that it was supposed to be delivered, I was at the salon waiting for it. And I got a, I got a call. Um, the guy was pulling up with his truck and there were about 80 boxes. There were 40 boxes of styling chairs, 40 boxes of shampoo bowls, big boxes, right? Heavy as hell. And, uh, I see the truck pull up and my salon my first salon is on the was on the second floor still is on the second floor of the shopping center so i go downstairs and i meet the guy the truck driver and i'm like great so right up there that's where the salon is that's where everything's going and he's like well actually right here on the sidewalk is where everything's going because this is called dropship <laughs> you ever heard of dropship and i'm like no And he's like, drop shit means that I dropped this shit right here on the sidewalk. And this is on Ventura Boulevard where, I mean, jamming with cars. The sidewalk's only, what, four or five feet wide. So this dude spends the next like three hours hand carrying each box, which weighs, I don't know, 50, 60, 70 pounds, putting them on the sidewalk along Ventura Boulevard. As I'm watching him pleading for him to bring him up to the salon, and he's like, "No, you know, sorry, dude, this is my; these are my orders." So he he builds a wall of boxes uh, on the sidewalk there, and then I spent probably the next five hours bringing those boxes up to the salon, and I don't think my back has been the same ever since. Um, Those are that's one example of just the stupidity that a young business person. Or anyone doing something for the first time uh, is subject to, and and you simply have to just work through it. Like, there's, you know, I I go back to like the 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 emotional aspect of things. You you just ignore the emotional aspect of it because if if I allowed my emotions to um, take over at that time, I would have, you know, started crying, or I would have been overwhelmed, or I would have. I don't know, done something else stupid. Instead, it's like, okay, well, boxes are sitting here. They need to be up there. So I'm going to start moving them. So, you know, that took five hours. Th- there were, you know, so many things that I did wrong like that. I mean, it's just, I could spend the next four hours talking about all the stupid shit that I did. And, and but the reality is, I, once I, once it happens and I solve it, I don't think about it again. You move on to the next thing. But all of it is in service to what matters most, which is, is the customer going to like it? And in my case, is the hairdresser going to like this salon for, you know, it everything about it, location, parking, color of the walls, uh, the cost. Uh, are they going to like me, the personality who is at the front of the salon, all of it that's what matters and and that that consumes a an entrepreneur should consume an entrepreneur when especially when they're starting out
1: now how can that uh, how can those things because uh, that that 's a positive, and I think that there's so many entrepreneurs that don 't look at those things they don 't look at they they build a project and and there 's two schools of thought there 's that school of thought and then there 's the school of thought of you know if you build something that you absolutely love, um, you know people will fall in love with it too and and be able to go what what would be i mean because that 's the light side of it the, the what is the dark side of that of building something and you're building it towards the, towards the customer. Does that make sense? Like, what is it? If, if if there's anything, is there any dark side to that? Is there any downside to building a business um, or a, you know, being an entrepreneur based off of uh, the customer's wants and desires?
0: So, so said another way, are you asking should the entrepreneur look towards the customer to design and develop the product or should the entrepreneur design what he or she thinks the customer wants? Is that kind of what you're asking?
1: Well, I think that there's always, you know, there's always both sides, right? So when you were talking about it, I mean, which is amazing. Like there's so many people listening that are hearing, you know, it's such a, a, again, a, a, a refreshing way of hearing it because you're really looking at the people who some people would say, Oh, all these people work for you. And you're like, no, 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 I work for them. Like I work for them. I'm yeah. an employee of them. I want to make sure that everyone's good. Is there any, 100%. is there any downside or dark side to that? Is there things that you go oh, through
0: because dark. you're going through that? Yeah. Of course. So um, for me, that you call it a dark side. For me, the dark side is not so dark because I think my personality is such that I I'm not an egotistical person. I it, if the way I view it is I have a duty from the moment that I started the business and I got the first hairdresser to decide to work there. I have a duty and responsibility to that person. Um, they are my customer. I have made them a promise and I have a duty and responsibility to fulfill that promise every second of every day, as long as they are my customer. Wow, That's it. I am, I am subject to to that, I am um, I, I am beholden to that. So th- that that philosophy I have recognized is different than what many people like to where they like to go with their perspective. And, and I've seen this in hairdressers too, by the way. Like a hairdresser who decides to become an independent hairdresser, and you know they write on their Instagram, "I'm the boss now." and all sorts of swag you know you know like call it what you will all sorts of um types of uh, a mindset where they're in charge and uh, aren't they so cool that is the opposite of what it is all about i mean, it, it's all about being a servant to your customer it's about being a servant to your client um me as the owner of the business I don't consider myself a boss. Even with my employees, I I have a duty and responsibility to them to um, to make sure they're the right person in the job, to make sure I train them properly, to make sure I give them the right resources to do their job right. And then, of course, the customers, a duty and responsibility to fulfill that promise, to um, to make sure we put up the best possible salon, to make sure that we open it when we say we're going to open it to make sure that it's clean uh, the way that we promise to make sure that our um, salon manager is going to be nice and hospitable and really good to their clients and uh, so on and so forth. So so uh, how does this boil down to real life? I'll give you a little anecdote. When I first started that salon, I'm sitting at the front of the salon. I, I managed the salon full-time plus, you know, probably 80 hours a week for the first three years. And I got to know, of course, a lot of the hairdressers really well. And I got to know some of the clients really well. And there was this one client who was very pretty and, and she, you know, I wanted to ask her out, but, um, the priority to me was not crossing the boundary between, you know, the professionalism of me in working at the salon and, you know, so, uh, but one day the hairdresser for this client come, came up to me and, and he or she was like, you know, so-and-so thinks you're really cute. And, uh, would you want to take her out? I'm like, hell yeah. Like i have like, I ogle her every time she walks in. I think she's beautiful. I'd love to take her out. And, and by the way, I'm going to treat her. I'm not going to take it. You know, I'm, I'm not going to be really mean to her. And cause I want her to keep coming in cause she's, she's your client. And frankly, <laughs> that's kind of the priority. So I, I took her out and um, I, we were at sushi and I was splurging because I didn't have enough money for sushi at at that time. And uh, I got a phone call from the salon. Someone's electrical breaker had popped or someone's plumbing had clogged or some issue with the salon. And it was probably 10 o'clock at night. And I was on the phone with this this hairdresser who was telling me this problem that I needed to fix. And I looked at my date and I said, I'm sorry, but I've got to go fix this problem. So I know it's rude. Um, You can come with me if you want. I'm obviously going to pay for dinner. Um, Or, you know, if you want to wait, I know that's like you don't have to wait. Totally get it if you're pissed off and you want to leave. And so I left uh, the, the restaurant and went and took care of the problem. I think it was like a plumbing issue. I don't remember, but it took me probably an hour to fix. Um, and it was messy and whatever, 10 o'clock at night on a Friday night. Um, that's what you have to do. There, there is, if I had said to the hairdresser on the phone, sorry, I'll see you tomorrow morning that is not the, that is not taking care of the duty and responsibility that I signed up for being a business owner. Okay. So I never, I called the girl back. She never called me back. Fine. I get it. Um, (laughs) I was going to ask that. I was going to ask Eric, is this now your wife? Because if
1: this was your wife, I was like, wow, she is your role dog. She's in, but I mean, that would
0: have been awesome. Yeah. So she, she,
1: she just bolted Then Did she get, did
0: you pay for the sushi? Of course, I paid extra you for paid that sushi for in case she wanted to order more, I put lots of money down to make sure that that was the case and um the but but that is the dark side of being an entrepreneur. It is the fact that things are going to take a back seat and and you know we mentioned the first girlfriend this if, is now you, mentioned number three of the I'm, first girlfriend. I dropped her. In order to move out to California to open the business.
1: Okay, let's go there then, uh, Eric. Because uh, honestly, like this is where entrepreneurs. This is a this is a tough spot because as an entrepreneur, like you said, you have a commitment. You're locked in. You're like, you know, yo, you got plumbing. I'm gonna invite my date, my super hot date, to come back and fix
0: plumbing with me <laughs> on, on the first. That's date. happened, by the way. That's gangster. That is gangster. I've, thank you. I, I never thought of it as gangster, but now that you mention it like that, yeah, it is kind of gangster. I mean, I've had some I've had some dates. Where the same thing happened, and, uh, and 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 these are dates where I've I'd like gotten to know them a little bit better. So I got those phone calls, and they came back to the salon with me to take care of the issue. And it, it those are like the funnest dates. Are You kidding me? You know, because
1: okay. uh, so so let's go to that side of it because a lot of entrepreneurs out there, um, they honestly like, and I, I went through this the same way. Where you know, in a business, like literally anything that you wanted, if you want to hang out with me as my friend, um, if it pertained to my business, I could wrap it in my business. It was cool. But if not, uh, you know, you needed to take a back seat. How does that work in relationships?
0: Well, it all depends on the relationship. So, um, you know, it's a lot different. Are you, are you married now?
1: Are you married now, Eric?
0: I'm married now. Yeah. I've been married 10 years, 10 years, 10 years. Congratulations. Thanks. Um, it, I was going to say that it's different now versus different back before I was married, but it, but the principle is still the same. Okay. The the principle is that the the business is an integral integral component to my life. I mm. do have this duty and this responsibility to the business, to the customers, etc. Which, which, by the way, can can simply be seen as a duty and responsibility to myself, right? Okay. Um, because if I'm not taking care of the business, if I'm not taking care of the customers, then the business is not going to take care of me, right? I'm not going to have rent to pay yeah. for my apartment, So Eric,
1: hold on for one second. This is really, really uh, uh, easy to understand on a pro forma and a business. But when you add a woman, when you add a woman in emotions to that uh, scenario, that woman starts to say, "Eh," I mean, how were you able to navigate those things?
0: Yeah. Well, she needs to be smart enough to understand. Damn. (laughs) Well, it's true. I love you, Eric. You're getting more and more gangster as we go, man. Dude, I've dated so many girls. Okay. And in this is Southern California, you know, nobody gets married until they're later on and stuff. So there's a lot of dating uh, or, you know, was, I mean, I'm 44 now, but, um, you know, there's a lot of dating and then being in this business, there's girls everywhere. So there it's, it's, it's highly social, right? There's, In order for me, I recognized pretty darn early that in order for me to commit to a girl as a girlfriend boyfriend relationship, she needed to understand how my business was integral to my life. And most didn't get that. Most simply, they could only think as they could only see as far as what is Eric, my boyfriend, doing for me? right? And if he's, and if it doesn't feel like he's doing enough for me, then I need to get him to try to do more for me. And then of course, those relationships stopped very soon after, after she had that perspective, because she, she did not have the perspective where she could see that the, the business was an integral part of my life and me being able to take care of myself, and setting forth a foundation for me being able to take care of a family down the road. Okay. In their 20s, most people don't have that kind of long term perspective. And I get that. Um, and however, I was simply incompatible with people who didn't have that kind of perspective all the way back then. And it's part of maturity. And it's part of that solitary path mindset that an entrepreneur has to have. And so I let go of a lot of really awesome girls, you know, awesome for the most part, girls um, that just didn't quite have a complimentary mindset. And I'm not saying that they're, that they should have had my kind of mindset. Maybe that wasn't right for them. Maybe they want a guy to simply follow them around, you know, like a pet. And take care of their needs all the time. You know that was not me, and I, I recognized that very early on. And eventually, moving this story forward, um, I found a girl who had come from a family where um, her parents or her dad, particularly, was an entrepreneur. It started a business. It sold the business. Um, y- you know, a a a good you know, moderate level of, of success, not enormous, but moderate level of like real life, uh, relatable success. And she saw all that and she saw how much that provided stability for her entire family for, um, for the, for her entire life and how valuable that can be. So she understood and still understands how important, um, taking care of the business properly is, now, now, as a 44 year old, and even going back 10 years to when I got married at 34 or 35, um, I will say that priority number one is myself. okay? And, and I say that in the most dutiful way possible. In other words, if I'm not healthy, I can't take care of my family. If I'm not healthy, I can't take care of my business. If I'm not healthy, you know, it's the whole thing on the airline. If there air, if the plane is going down and those oxygen masks fall down, the airline does not say put the one on your kid first. They say put the one on you first so that you can then help the person next to you, right? It's extremely important to understand that. Most people are all like, oh, you got to help others, you know, at the expense of themselves. And that's simply not true because if you're taking so much expense on yourself, you're, you will soon not be able to help others. So self first, I need to take care of my health mentally, physically, et cetera. And then that allows me to um, be there for my family, which is priority number two. You know, uh, wife and kids, priority number two, and then business, priority number three. So, you know, all of it though, it, it's not so sequential. All of it is very much part of the same kind of, uh, you know, big entity that that's all feeding each other. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That that's how I see it.
1: Well, I think every single listener is like, man, I mean, Eric, you need to come out with a, a course on how to be married. Because if you got, <laughs> I mean, if you can have that conversation with your wife 10 years ago and you still, I mean, when does your wife check you? Because we all know, I mean, uh, again, we can go into it with a contract, like I'm a systems guy, like I built my whole, my whole career on systems. And then when I got married, my, my wife was like, Hey, yo, you know, you may have those systems and you may, you know, you may be able to run this when you're outside this house, but you come in this house, you change the, uh, the, the diapers, you are taking out the trash. You know what I'm saying? Sure, so when, sure. tell, tell us about a time when your wife checks you,
0: well, uh, you know, just in response to that, and I'll tr- I'll try to think of an anecdote as I'm telling you that just my general response, um, it, it's very much my same perspective of duty and responsibility. I have a duty and a responsibility to my wife, um, to be a good husband, to do the, you know the right things in a good, healthy way, um, to support you know in in the roles that that we've kind of decided are, are my roles. Um, and every marriage by the way is different. And that's why I say in the roles that we've decided, um, I I think it's super important to talk about all this stuff well before you get married. And and I see a lot of people don't do this. Um, and my role and my marriage is to run the business to, to make sure that it provides for the family and stability and all that. And then, Uh, make it so that my wife can focus on the household, focus on the kids. And, you know, at this point with these young kids, it it is very much focusing on the kids. That is very much a a priority that is extremely important. In order for that to be a priority for her, I need to make a priority to build that stability so that she can focus on that. Um, And and so we discussed this you know, well before we got married and we agreed that that's what we both want. We both want that kind of a structure in our family. And, and so then, um, then I simply tackle that duty and responsibility as best as I can. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of that has to do with just little nuances, you know, like I don't make her feel self-conscious. I, I don't look at other, I don't ogle other girls as we're walking around in public. I don't flirt with her friends. You know, I, I want her to feel super comfortable and confident in our relationship. Like there's so many different nuances and elements to what I'm talking about. We can, you know, it's like a whole different subject, this whole different podcast. But, but I reckon, like I have friends who, who feel like they have to keep their wives off balance? They have to um, like they they have to make sure that their wife is constantly striving for their attention, and they want their wives to you know be be constantly trying. And I think that's absolutely horrible. And that and that's not the way that I want my relationship to be. I want my wife to be extremely comfortable, a hundred percent confident and comfortable in our relationship so that she can one be happy, which is, which is the goal. (laughs) Um, and, and then focus on, you know, those other things that are so important. You're raising these two humans that are going to be part of the world before we're long gone. Um, and, and those are, those are the priorities and, and, those are my perspectives. She agreed with those things and she recognized the, that the importance of the business as supporting this whole thing. And, and so she gets it. So like if, um, her birthday is coming up, for example, and if we are out at dinner and something very important happen, uh, business related, and I needed to run, go do it she trusts that I am making the right decision, um, in, in support of the greater good of the family. Right. And she trusts that because I have built that trust with her, you know, and, and, and it's, it's just so important to all of it. And, and going referencing my friends who, have other philosophies about the relationships with their wives and stuff, they haven't built that trust. So they find themselves in situations that are, um, that where there's a lot of conflict where if they had to go and, you know, catch a flight to San Jose to take care of something for business, their wife's in the back of her head. She's like, is does he is he seeing someone in San Jose? And, and should I be worried about this? I'm going to, I'm going to stalk his Instagram to see if he's putting something on stories or, you know, I, I'm going to check his text next to, and that shit's poisonous. And that's why you don't want that stuff in your life. So you can focus on the, the big important things.
1: Well, so tell us some practical application things or some, maybe some tools or exercises because everybody listening, like you have an overwhelmingly uh, positive attitude And when you're looking at things, you're looking at them from a a very computed, like you were talking long-term. I mean, I think that that's amazing. What are some exercises that our listeners can do um, that would be practical in their day-to-day life to be able to start to exercise? Because I believe this is a muscle. This muscle that you have of a positive attitude of being able to look at things from a long-term perspective is something that's developed over time. What are some of the things that you do and maybe what they could do on a day-to-day basis to make it better?
0: Sure. I mean, I think... Number one, simply um, uh, you know sit down somewhere quiet, peaceful, etc and, uh, and and you know that may be laying in bed at night before you go to sleep, that may be um, w- when you're wherever. Think long and hard about where about five years from now, you know let's say where uh, there's a 32 year old, uh, girl, listening, lady, listening, and in five years she's going to be thirty-seven. Um, th- that is that is a very easy, obvious thing that just not enough people do. Not, not a lot of people think, "Oh, wow, I am going to be thirty-seven one day." You know, it's now twenty twenty. It's going to be twenty twenty-five. It will be twenty twenty-five. There is no question about the fact that it will be twenty twenty-five, and. Think about what you want to be, what you want to be doing uh, when you're 37, when you're when it's 2025. 20, um, think about all sorts of practical elements of that. Think about like, oh, my parents are going to be 82. You know, that's that's really going to be something. Gosh, they're they're going to be really old. Um, and by the way, as an aside, that's going to make you appreciate your parents more now. Um, you're going to be thinking. Um, am I going to have kids 37, you know? Um, and my doctor told me once I turned 40, there's higher incidence of, you know, birth defects and other things that, that I guess is true. Um, these are things my wife told me, by the way, um, the, these are all real and get fucking practical with it and take the emotions and throw them away. And it, if it helps think about it from the third person standpoint, think about it from your friend, Janice. Okay. Your friend Janice, who's also 32, think about it from Janice's, think about yourself from Janice's standpoint. How does Janice see me right now? And I wonder what Janice thinks I'm going to be doing when I'm 35. Maybe that puts, maybe that takes the emotion out of it. However, it's, it's, it's needed to take the emotion out, to take the kind of the personalization out of it, take that out of it and look at it objectively what am I going to be doing in five years from now? Do I, do I want to own a home? Do I want to even be living in Los Angeles 30, you know, five years from now? And then once you create something very concrete, work backwards. What do I need to be doing right now in order to get there? Because five years sounds like a really long time from now, but it's not. Because where you might want to be might require hundreds of little steps between where you are now and five years from now. So I, this is how I've lived my entire life, even when I was in um, high school, although lesser, of course, when I was in high school. Um, and, and by the way, I've always tried to balance this kind of pragmatic sort of logic with you know, experiencing life and having all fun. And, and, and I definitely like, I, I knew that I was going to start a business early. So I crammed in, you know, maybe more fun than I should have before I actually did. Um, But very important to, to think this through regularly. And I think it, it helps people to break out of this kind of personal, emotional need to feel comfortable. Um, at the expense of actually getting where you want to go.
1: So, I mean, honestly, like just in that part of it, I mean, there's going to be people that are just, their mind is blown and being able to spend time with you, man, is, is phenomenal. Um, you you know, hearing the, the systematic parts and, and, and looking at those things, looking at your end result and then working backwards and looking at five years. I mean, it, it's huge, especially in our, in a professional beauty industry, because most people don't think past the day. Uh, most people don't even think past the hour. Uh, most people are just looking at the section that they're blow drying or the section of hair that they're doing at the particular time. I think it's so refreshing, but also outside the beauty industry, I think it's amazing. So with that being said, you kind of alluded to it. Go ahead.
0: Can I, I, I want to add something yeah. and I, su- I suspect you're going to uh, move down the road of the conversation, but I don't want one point to be lost. And in, in what I just said, mm-hmm. and, and that is the utter discomfort of, of getting where you want to go. So if someone were to go, is that where you're going to, where no, you were no, going to no. go? I wasn't, question? but
1: that's a good one. That's a, okay. that's a, you're allowed to go wherever you want. This is all about you, Eric.
0: Thank, thank you. Um, the and, and and sometimes we talk about these lofty principles and ideas and things like that, and sometimes it's hard for people in their own personal situations to translate into what does that mean for me. Um, and so I'm going to try to do that right now. So if if um, if this 32 year old woman is thinking about, let's say she's she's not entirely happy with where she is in her life. Um, and she's doing this little exercise, you know, five years from now, et cetera. Um, w- what does that actually mean for her in the, in that moment? And very often it means um, taking steps that are very uncomfortable. For example, um, and, and, and this is, by the way, because no one looks five years down the road with the emotional or, or the uh, psychological removal Um, between the sense of five years from now and that other person and right now um, without without thinking about being better five years from now. Nobody's like, five years from now, I want to really be hooked on heroin. Like right now, like I'm just occasionally snorting coke and like, it's not that good, but five years from now, I think I really like to be on H. You know, nobody says that. Everyone's like, five years from now, you know, I want to, to have these various things and I, I want to have, you know, have accomplished, you know, X, um, in order to get there, you oftentimes need to change things starting right now that are uncomfortable. And one of the biggest ones is simply changing, um, change, changing your mindset, which requires changing the people around you. So, you know, I keep picking on somebody named Janice. Um, um, Jan- Janice out there, she's
1: like, "Damn, I, like my life is yeah. tough. I'm 32. I'm turning to 37." He keeps right. talking about me doing heroin and coke. Uh, so <laughs> that's
0: right. <laughs> Go ahead. That's right. So, well, in, in this in this example, hypothetical, Janice is the friend, and Janice is a total downer. Janice is super fun on the weekends. We love you, you know. Janice. We love you. We love Janice. Okay. But Janice is a fucking downer. Janice doesn't want you to be better because the the better you get, the worse Janice feels about herself. Okay, misery loves company. We've all heard that. So oftentimes, what is necessary um, to change your own mindset in order to take all these little steps to become who you want to be in five years, and there's a hundred of them. It's not going to happen immediately. Um, in order to start taking these steps, you need to change a lot of your environment. And a lot of your environment has to do with who you're talking to all the time. You know, who's who's all up in your text in 90. We, we all have we all are captive. Our attention is captive to uh, some degree to our text, text messages. You know, who's on your text? Who's requiring your attention? Who's requiring your time? And what are they doing with your attention? Is is Janice just bitching and complaining about this, that, and something else? Um, sometimes you simply need to just kind of recognize that you need to pull away a little bit from Janice, and either you need to find better friends, <laughs> you know, somebody maybe a little bit more positive, um, or or just be be more cognizant of where your attention and your time is being spent on a day to day basis. Well, I think it's, and that's hard. That's hard.
1: Absolutely. No, I mean, the, the question I was going to ask you, too, is, I mean, again, we've got the, these kind of things, which is great. We have the practical application. What makes Eric Belly laugh and just forget about everything else? Um, for myself, what I do every year, I have all my buddies from when I was in fourth grade. We all still hang out. We come to, I rent a house here in uh, in North County, San Diego. We get bicycles, and we go back to being nine. We skid. We jump off of uh, the, the curb, and we become complete idiots for a whole weekend, and we're like nine years old again. Um, What what are the things that makes Eric step out of Salon Republic, Eric, that rules the professional beauty industry and just makes you belly laugh for no other reason but just belly laughing?
0: Well, I'm not going to let you say that without me refuting. (laughs) I do not rule anything. Um, you know, but- if you said it,
1: Eric, everyone would be like, damn, Eric's, uh, you know, <laughs> just all his job, you know, but I'm saying, I could say that I look at it no, and I, I think will. that you're doing phenomenal things. I think you're doing okay. great things in the, in the industry. I think that you're doing great things for people. I think you're a phenomenal leader. Um, I think, I mean, honestly, like I need to meet this wife too, because if you have a, like, it sounds like you have an ironclad contract that you guys, you know, you guys understand and know all the principles. I want to meet this woman because this woman's a freaking superhero. I'm every, Every other woman that every other dude out there that's married is like well damn like I tried to yeah. <laughs> make some rules with my wife too and she uh, could punch me in my throat that's what my wife would do if you know her. Yeah. And, what are the things that make you belly laugh that you do? Like I like to go to the carnival. I like to play uh uh I like to play until I win at the carnival. Yeah. Means nothing at all. I'll never get right. successful from it, but it just makes me laugh. What that's makes cool. you laugh and and lose it? Yes.
0: I, I would say there's a few things that that I do to kind of remove... First of all, I'm very good at compartmentalizing. I, I, I'm a huge fan of... Because uh, that's really what you're talking about. Um, it's, I'm a huge fan of meditation. I, I don't meditate formally like a lot of people talk about it. Um, I, I just do it kind of... Uh, I do it throughout the day. Um, but the, the things that really allow me, make it easier to compartmentalize is, uh, or my kids, I would say it's number one because I, you know, I just, I love doing things with them. They're at that very special age. You know, you're right there. They're at that super awesome age where they're able to do things and they've got opinions and they've got all. The, they've still got all those little kind of quirky things. So I, I do things with, with my kids a lot. Like for example, in the morning, the thing I do with my daughter and in t- actually tomorrow morning, I do this thing with my daughter where uh, she and I go to the pool early. It's not our pool, it's like a community pool and we go to the pool early and she's a remarkable swimmer. She was a natural swimmer. Like I was a natural drawer, um, from the time that she was first in the water. And so she loves swimming. So I take her to the pool and we're going to swim in the morning. And, um, it's, there's nothing cuter than when she puts on her little cap and she's all skinny with a big head. And, you know, so that removes me, you know, from kind of, the day to day. My, my son and I, we do various things. My son is just the nerdiest of nerds. Um, he's super engineer. So we put things together, together. We take things apart together. Um, you know, we, we throw the baseball a little bit and he's getting better at that. He likes it. And we watch the Dodgers, you know, we've, we watched maybe five Dodger games now. And like after the first one, he knew every player. He knew every player, first name, last name. It was just remarkable how young kids absorb uh, information. But we love to do that together. Um, and then um, on the weekends, I'm all in with the family, 100% all in, engaged. Um, and so, th- those, so my weekends are very, um, uh, let's call it, you know, when, when you say recreation, the word is recreate, recreation, right? and you kind of recreate your own you know mindset or whatever and and that so that is my recreation we we do lots of fun things together and uh and then uh a, a lot of that means on Sundays uh we go to our friend's house and my friend has a really great pizza oven and we make pizzas every every Sunday and those are really those are really great things you know otherwise i i surf and so, being in the water is one time when I can put my phone. I can keep my phone in the car, um, so it doesn't zzz, zzz, zzz drive me nuts like it does all the other twenty four hours of the day. Um, and and so, from a meditation standpoint, you know, surfing, even when the waves aren't very good, um, surfing is is a very valuable, I think, to me.
1: Well, that's that's incredible. So the whole reason why I told you earlier, the whole reason why I did the podcast is to take iconic people like yourself. And I wanted to humanize them because my kids, uh, I did the podcast for them, 8 and 11, which is Maddox and McKenna. And uh, I wanted them to understand and know that people that accomplish crazy things like what you've accomplished, um, which is monumental in the professional beauty space, and and not only just in the professional beauty space, but just in any business in general, I mean, the success that you've had has been tremendous. But what I wanted them to understand is that, You're not a superhero. You're not from some uh, planet where superheroes come from. You're a human being. You have a great attitude. You have a phenomenal work ethic. And with those two things, you can accomplish anything. So if you could, if you could look into the screen, Maddox and McKenna are their names. Could you use their names and tell them some advice that you think would be great from Mr. Legendary Eric Taylor?
0: Sure. So I, I think it's, I've got a great one for you. Maddox and McKenna. Um, so grateful that you're spending your time listening to me um, very humbled by that uh, look everyone makes mistakes everyone is wrong sometimes sometimes a lot um, i am wrong often i make mistakes all the time so what's what is important is not necessarily not necessarily being right all the time and it's not avoiding all mistakes it's recognizing in every situation what is what is the right answer whether you came up with it or not is less important than you arriving at the right answer that's all i care about every day i don't care about being the smartest guy in the room i care about getting most i I care about getting the most from everybody around me and i i will i um i will decide on things i'll make decisions i will suggest things knowing that i can be wrong and it's really important to recognize that if you're wrong you don't take that personally all you do is you go back and think about okay why was i wrong what didn't i see um and and learn how to arrive at the right answer it's all about getting to the right answer wh- whether you were the one to to bring yourself there or or not it's 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 depersonalizing all this kind of stuff does that make sense it's it's a little it's a little um oh what's the word it, it's not as concrete as i would like but but that is the reality of of all of us it, it, none of us are um are the kind of people who never make mistakes. The, the only difference is, wh- what do we do? Wh- what do we do after we make the mistake? Do we do we go back and we try to make excuses for why we made the mistake? Do we try to convince everybody else that our mistake isn't really a mistake? Or do we care most about simply arriving at the right answer?
1: Wow. I, I thank you so much man I mean for all of you listening you understand why I wanted to have this man I've been chasing him down for a year he's been uh, running and I've been like look can you please I'm joking with you Eric um, but I have I've been after you uh, for quite some time and uh, you listen and you understand why and it's not about the, the accolades that he has the businesses that uh, continue to be successful it's about that it's a real human being and you know he's, he's okay with telling you that he's making mistakes that, that as an entrepreneur you know as a, as a successful business owner my brother said this earlier to me today that the the largest success uh stories in the world come from the largest failures they come from people understanding and knowing that failure isn't final and so i want to thank you so much eric um i want to reiterate to uh, check this guy out on instagram love uh love eric taylor on facebook eric taylor TikTok, love eric taylor you need to listen to The Hair Game, the podcast. I mean, this guy uh, has anyone who's an, – uh, everyone who's anyone in the business but also telling stories of people who need to be told, the unsung heroes, um, and not just looking after the people with the fame. He's building people and looking and truly serving a community and tr- serving an industry, which I think is amazing. So I want to thank, thank you so you. much for being on the show, man. Um, so fun. You are, you are incredible. Uh, I thank can't you, wait yeah. to meet in person. And yes. uh, I got, I got to meet this wife of yours, man. Seriously. I mean, uh, she is nobody gangster. better. Nobody better. Well, I, I thank you again. Um, you're off the hot seat. We're going to have 15 seconds of, uh, of awkwardly staring at each other again. Um, but do This is the time where you subscribe. Uh, if you're listening, you subscribe, you click the links, do all the things that you're supposed to do. Patronize our sponsors, all those things. We love you. And uh, we thank you so much for listening to Kelly Cardina's podcast.